And it's such an incredible honor to be in his presence tonight. Uh, I'm not sure if the children are supposed to be dismissed or not. Youth and children, all right. Youth and children. While they are departing tonight, if you will turn with me to the book of Matthew, I will start in chapter 7, and then we will go to chapter 18. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. In the 18th chapter of the book of Matthews, let me begin reading in verse 6. Let me back up. Let me start in verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I send you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little one in my name, receiveth me. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me were better for him that a millstone were hang about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off, cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maim rather than having two hands or two feet be cast into everlasting fire. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. It's better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. Verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But. If he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man 
and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. For a few moments tonight, I want to talk to you about being bound. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Before I begin tonight, let me say what an honor it is to be home. Been a rather hectic few weeks. It's just an honor to be here. And I do hope and pray that something I say tonight will help your life to become better. The subject that Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 18 is one of the most difficult subjects that the apostles and the disciples had to deal with. They had more trouble grasping what he's trying to say to them than any other topic he would discuss. Matter of fact, at one point in his discussion of this topic, the disciples tell the Lord that to be able to do what you're asking us to do will require that we have more faith. I don't find very many times that Jesus got angry at disciples, but the day they asked for more faith, Jesus required them to repeat after him, we are worthless servants because we've only done that which was our duty to do. What Jesus talks about as he addresses this issue is not something that we can choose to ignore or choose to do if we want to. This is not multiple choice. This is not, man, when I feel like it, I'll do it. This issue that Jesus addresses is so paramount in our life that if we don't, the consequences are the results that happen to us will be the most devastating thing that ever came into our life. It will not be something that's produced by devil or God. It's something we produce ourselves. And when it happens, I get locked up. I become bound. I've noticed traveling America over the last now 33 years, it's hard to believe that I started doing this in 1985, but that's when it started. And so I, I've been to a lot of places and I've heard a lot of people sing, a lot of choirs sing, a lot of ensembles sing. And I can tell you that one of the most prevalent themes of songs that are sung today are going to mention breaking chains. You're going to hear it on a regular basis. And as we keep talking about breaking change, if I have to keep breaking change, isn't that an indication that I just might be bound? If all I can do is talk about it, when the chain is broke, you don't keep singing about it. You start living. It demonstrates to others that I'm a lifestyle 
that demonstrates to others that I'm not bound anymore. I, I'm not controlled anymore. I, this is not defining my life or who I am or what's happening in, to, to me in my life. This, this issue caused Peter such a problem that he can't get away from what Jesus asked. And I guess it even terrified him when he taught him how to pray because the Lord's Prayer indicates that this theme or subject Jesus is addressing is conditional. And the theme is forgiveness. I just read an article, actually someone mailed it to me a few months back. And as I was reading the article and then followed the threads that would take me back to the research and to other places that the The article was quoting. The article made the statement that in America today, there is a new disease that has been defined. And that disease that medical science has defined is a disease they can't treat. It's a disease they have no cure for. They have no remedy for. There's nothing they can do to change it. And the disease that they refer to is a disease called unforgiveness. And it's now classified in medical journals as a disease. And as I read the article, it makes the statement that that a lot of diseases that we suffer today, that if you go trace their roots, they have their root is unforgiveness. And they attribute 61% of cancer to unforgiveness. 80% of strokes and heart attacks to unforgiveness. That when we don't turn things loose, something happens to us. It doesn't matter how much you pray or prophesy. It doesn't matter how much you speak in tongues, how much you read the Bible, how much you come to church. If you don't do what Jesus asked us to do, you're going to wind up in a prison that you're the only one who has the key to get out. Now, when Jesus addresses this issue, he starts talking to us uh, about offense. And I need to address that today because offense is at the root of every problem that's happening in our world today. It's at the root of every issue that you'll discover. It all goes back, somebody got offended. I have been asked on numerous occasions, if God really loved me, why did he let this happen to me? Why did God permit someone to do something to me? Now, a few weeks ago, as I was studying this passage of Scripture again, the Lord took me back to the Sermon on the Mount and the ending of the Sermon on the Mount. And he implied or said that in the last days, there are going to be people that prophesy in his name, that perform notable acts. Miracles will happen. But Jesus said, when I see them and they come into my presence, My words to them is going to be, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. 
It doesn't matter if I can give tongues and interpretation and I can prophesy. If I start wounding children, I am in serious trouble with God. God hates offense. God doesn't tolerate offense. Malachi 2.14 says God hates putting away, colon, for one covers violence with a garment. God despises violence in a family just as much as he despises divorce. But unfortunately, in our world today, it's an epidemic. And the sad part of it is when you come here, it doesn't get better. Matter of fact, all statistics on families get worse at church than they are in the world. They jump by 7 to 10 points in every category. When the American family admits using violence in their family on a yearly basis, 53% of them do. When asked in a survey, that's the number that come back. When you come to church, it's 60 to 63%. 33% of Americans admit using violence in their families on a weekly basis. When you come to church, it's 40 to 43%. Why is that number so high? Why are God's kids doing such horrible things? And yet we can, we can commit these acts and then get up and give tongues and interpretation. And we think that justifies or says God don't have a problem with us. Jesus said in Matthew 18, don't you know that there Angels, not angel, it's plural, that their angels are always in the presence of my Father. God despises what humans do to children. It's one of the signs of the end of time as I read the Bible that here's what's going to happen. Because of brokenness of homes and the issues in relationships, children become the casualty. Moms and dads walk away thinking are not having a lot of issues, but the kids always assume all the responsibility and become the source of the problems, or they think they're the source of the problem that caused the relationship to break up. Jesus declares emphatically that this is a heaven or hell issue. If I don't correct my behavior, these are things that are declared by Jesus to be a heaven or hell issue. Offending, hurting, wounding. Matter of fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes the statement, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remembers thy brother has ought against you, leave your gift at the altar and first be reconciled. To thy brother. Now I, I started looking and every time Jesus addresses the forgiveness issue, it always has a connection to family and it usually says brother. Strangers don't have the power to wreck our hearts or break our hearts or destroy our lives. Neighbors can't break my heart. The only person 
who has the power to wreck my life. It's someone who says or declares they have a vested interest in my life and declare they love me. Those are the person, people who have this incredible ability to destroy me and wreck my life. Our world is beginning to tolerate more and more and more junk. And as a result, we see all kinds of issues start arising as a, a result of my world. And, and that's what the Lord has declared would be the signs of the end of time. The first sign declared to show up at the end of time is lovers of self becoming more concerned about me than anybody else. See, I used to be asked a question. The question I heard a lot of times traveling America and traveling the world was, is this a heaven or hell issue? I heard that on numerous occasions. That question is no longer asked anymore. I don't hear people say, is this going to keep me out of heaven? What I hear people say today is, don't you think I have a right to be happy? So we've changed our question about whether or not God's going to have a problem with me. To I have these rights. I deserve to be happy. The sad part is, the only person who has the power to make you happy is you. There's no one can make you happy. Happiness doesn't come from other people. It comes from inside of me. So if you have this incredible need to be happy, my suggestion is go get in front of the mirror and practice your happy face. Learn how to smile. So I, I, I remember hearing as a child growing up around the church that the family that prays together stays together. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight that's not true. I can bring thousands of families through here that I've connected through over the years. They had incredible prayer lives, but they didn't stay together. Prayer won't change your marriage. You can ask God all you want. God can't change it. The reason is you're the problem. Say, Brother Hughes, that's kind of harsh. Okay, let's just look at reality. If if marriage one ends and you find partner number two and you get married, the problems in marriage number one will show up in marriage number two. Now, the odds of that one ending are incredibly high. They're much higher than the first one. They jump by five points every time there's a new marriage. So the second one rises by five more percentage points. So the odds of that one ending is great. It's quite high. And, and and when that one ends, if you happen by chance to get married third time, the problems in marriage one and two is going to be in marriage three. And if you get married the fourth time, the problems in marriage one, two, three and are going to be in four. The fifth time, the problems in marriage one, two, three and four are going to be in five. And there's only one common denominator. You know what I'm discovering about getting old? I got lied to. You do not mellow with age. The, the 60, soon to be 67 year old version of James Hughes is not kinder than the 21 year old version. He doesn't have more faith. And my friend and I were just talking about this before I started preaching. He had no clue what I was going to preach about today. 
as I get older, I, I don't become a better version. Matter of fact, I'm discovering it don't take a whole lot to tick off a 66-year-old. It's just here. It's, it's, it's part of our lives. But, but here's the problem. When I don't release things, I get bound. And when I get bound, the only way out of being bound is for me to let it go. I am not going to change the solution or the problem. I'm not going to get a better reaction or, or a different story or a different outcome. There's no rewind button. You can't back it up and play it again. You can't fix it. You can't change it. You cannot do one thing about yesterday other than don't look at it. Why do you think Paul said to the church at Philippi when he's telling them how to have joy and 27 times he uses the, the term joy in the letter to the church at Philippi, the, the book or the letter to the Philippians was called the, the letter of joy. And, and how does he tell them how to find joy? Well, he describes it. He said, I haven't quite apprehended that which I'm apprehended of, but this one thing I do. As a 80 plus year old man in prison about to be executed by Nero, he, he writes to this church and he says to them, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now he had nothing to rejoice over. He has one, uh, two of, of Nero's trained assassins chained to either arm. There's nothing to rejoice about here. He's in prison. He's going to be executed. But he says to that church, quit looking back there and start looking out here. If, if we don't leave that alone, that will become the defining point of my life. It'll occupy your conversation. It will occupy your dream. It'll occupy your day and, and, and everything that's happening. And you'll get trapped in this world. See, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, his prayer was, forgive us our trespasses in one place, debts in another. Forgive us our trespasses, how? As we forgive those who trespass against us. Watching these six little kids grow up around my house, they taught me a lot about life. And it's quite obvious to me that the need that all of us have that's greater than any other need. It's greater than the need for affection. It's greater than the need for food, for water, for shelter, for safety. The most powerful need I have as a human being is revenge. And I'm going to get even. And it does not matter the price I have to pay to get even. I'm going to get even. It doesn't matter if I see the person corrected that caused the problem, it's never good enough. So I want to add my version to it so they will never think about doing this to me again. And that's what's in us. See, the problem here, folks, is 
There's a matter one of you sitting here tonight actually know how old you are. Now, you know how old your mate is because you can look at them. But you don't have a clue how old you are. Because I can guarantee you, your, your view of you is not your age. See, I don't think I'm 67. 49, 50 maybe, not 67. We don't see, I can't see me. I, I have no clue what I look like. If I don't have a mirror, I don't know. So you look at the package, I look at the content. You see the outside, I see the inside. And it's not the outside that defines me. Now that's what my world's trying to teach me that I need to do to make the inside better, change the package. And if you fix the package, it'll make you feel much better about yourself. And that's a lie. You can't do enough to this outside because you can't see it. Unless you get some Hollywood producer to make a movie of you so you can sit down and look at you, you have no clue. And the only part of you that you will ever see is the front side. You can't see the back side. I remember standing in Hobby Airport several years ago, fixing to get on a plane to go somewhere, and I, I'm sitting here... I, you know, y'all know I like to watch people. So I'm sitting there and I'm just watching people back, go back and forth in, in the airport. And, and I see this couple, older couple. Now, I was probably in my late 40s at the time. And, and this couple, they were both white-headed. I would guess somewhere in the middle 60s, late 60s, maybe even 70s. And they were dressed so immaculately. He had on this incredible suit and yeah, and she had on a dress that I'm sure cost a lot of money, and and she's her hair is perfect, and and they come walking towards me, and I'm thinking, wow, they they look like they stepped off the cover of some magazine, and then they walk by, and I thought, why didn't he tell her what the backside looked like? Because it was obvious she took a nap before she came to church. Because the front side was all in shape, but the back side looked like a pancake. It was flat all the way down. So I don't know what I look like. I have no clue. So it's not the external that's going to wreck my life. It's what I let get inside of me that I start harboring. I allow to stay there. I allow to fester. I, I, I allow my mind to feed on it. And, and you know, the more you think about issues, the more you're convinced you got the raw end of the deal. It's just in our nature, folks. Now y'all look like you're in a state of shock tonight. It's in our nature. You know what I'm discovering about Pentecostals? We're not honest about being Pentecostal. When I get the Holy Ghost, I don't become a better version than I was before unless I choose to. So I'm discovering that if you're a jerk before you got the Holy Ghost, you're just going to be a jerk with the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is not going to change jerkiness. It's in me. And the older I get, the more of it shows up. So I gotta work at not offending people. And when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you bring your gift to the altar, there do you just come up against you? 
Do you get to come inside the house? Do you just come on in and worship anyway? What do you say? Leave thy gift at the altar and first be reconciled to thy brother. Then come and present your gift at the altar. Now, my world and your world wants to say that God has given us permission to go to people and tell them how bad they are. Isn't that what Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 that Peter has a problem with? Isn't that what he said? Jesus said, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. Now, that's a comforting word. That's one we all like because it implies that God don't have a problem with me just chastising them to the point it brings repentance. And if it's not severe enough to produce repentance, then I don't have to forgive it. And that will... Rebuke him. If he repent, what do you do? Forgive him. And the disciples said, increase our faith. Jesus said, that's not a faith issue. If this is about faith, you'd say, to that sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root. Because that's what they made caskets out of. Be thou plucked up by the root and play in the sea. You see, if I don't get unbound, it will become the casket they bury me in. I'll just hold on to this junk and I'll, I'll let it build and it'll fester and it'll grow and it'll keep affecting me. And all the time, I have the power to get out of it. I'm the one with the key. And the key is I got to let them go. And, and our response is, they don't deserve it. Well, where did Jesus say they deserved it? They haven't done anything to prove that they should be forgiven, but Jesus didn't say they have to produce anything. Now, what Jesus said, if I bring my gift to the altar and there remembers my brother has ought against me, well, this is not the same as being offended. This means I'm the predator. If I come to the house of God and I get to the altar, God's not going to let me in without challenging my conscience. And when he challenges my conscience, I better respond. Because if I don't respond, I'll take my conscience out of my life entirely. Jesus declares to the woman at the well that the day cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father. How? In spirit and in truth. What God demands of us when we come into this house and start to worship Him is that we get truthful about our life. We gotta get truth in our life. And we gotta get out of denial and quit ignoring things and acting like, acting like there's not a problem here. I, I gotta become truthful with myself. Now, the word spirit if you read it, tripping in the Holy Ghost for this. 
It's not speaking of worshiping in the Holy Ghost. It's referring to your human spirit. So Jesus said that the day cometh, and now is, when true worshipers will worship God with their human spirit and with truth. Now Jesus declares that the way you worship God, what's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy what? Heart, soul, mind, strength. This is the first and great commandment. The second, they didn't ask for, it's like in the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor, how? As thyself. How do I love God? With all, all, part, some, most, all of what? My heart. Anybody read that scripture that says the heart is deceitfully wicked? Who can know it? Do you understand to truly worship God, you got to get all your evil to worship too. You got to drag the evil part of you to the altar and say, all right, James, you pray through right now. You worship God. You're not acting like this. It's your responsibility. Pray through. God's not going to fix you. Pray through. I have to worship him with all of my heart. The word soul is sukate, which is the seat of the emotions, will, and intellect. So he says you better get all your emotions involved, not your good ones. You better drag your hate up here and say, all right, hate, worship God. All right, jealousy, worship God. All right, envy, all or part. So we isolate good and think that's, and then we're bound because we let the other junk go unnoticed and it winds up that we're bound and then God can't move or God can't operate because this junk is here that I won't get rid of in my life or let go because my nature, the, 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 the kid inside of me says they hurt me and they got to pay. They got to pay. It's not fair to, to let them off the hook or let it go. You don't understand how bad they were to me. My response is it doesn't matter. Because there's no beam me up, Scotty. Where's that time machine? You're going to go back in time? Somebody going to allow you to fix what happened yesterday? No. What are you going to do? Turn it loose. Let it go. When you let it go, it opens the prison that lets me out. And when I open the prison to let me out, then it opens the door for God to start bringing other things into my life. If I'm the one who created the problem, then Jesus said, don't worship, don't pray, don't come in my house till you fix the problem. Mark, he says, if you stand praying and your brother has offended you, now I'm the victim. Forgive him. In Matthew 18, when Jesus said, if your brother trespass against you, go to him. That wouldn't appear that he gave me permission to go, didn't it? Well, unfortunately, some scribe thought it needed extra words and added 
against you to the original text. And when they started discovering the earlier versions of that original text, the Alexandrinos, so in the older manuscripts, they discovered that against you was not part of that original passage of Scripture. So when Jesus declares to those disciples that day, if your brother sins, go to it. It has nothing to do with you. If I try to go to my brother that's done something to me, I'm always going to offend him, hurt him, or wound him. Have you ever seen anybody go to somebody else and tell them, you hurt me, but I'm, I'm going to forgive you? Have you ever seen that work out well? But that's what we think God allows us to do. But that's not what he's saying. Let me ask you a question. When you show up at church, does God get in your face and say, you offended me really bad? Does he do that? No, he doesn't, does he? His spirit just starts moving, and when his love starts come showing up, all of a sudden you, you start being reminded, uh-oh, there's a problem here. There are only two scriptures in the Bible that tell us what a spirit is, or a human spirit is. One's in Proverbs, one's in Corinthians. The one in Proverbs says, the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, searching the inward parts of the belly. The one in Corinthians says, nobody knows the man but the spirit of the man. My spirit is my conscience. So what Jesus declared to this lady at the well is there the day cometh and now is when people who really are going to worship me, first thing they're going to get involved is their conscience. And they're going to make sure their conscience is active so they don't hurt someone, say something to someone, or injure someone. Thinking that it's okay because they hurt me, but in doing so, I'm becoming the predator that should cut his foot off or cut his hand off or maybe pluck his eye out rather than become a target of God. This offense stuff is serious to God. But the longer we live, the more offense you're going to see because Jesus declared that one of the signs of the end of time is that people will be offended. That's how we know the coming of the Lord's getting closer is because more offense is happening on a daily basis. I, I just had, had a conversation with my dear friend just a couple of hours ago, and, and we, we were talking about this issue. And the world we live in, everybody's being offended. That's my world. When the offense happens, am I going to loose it in heaven? See, true forgiveness can never happen until you can pray Jesus' prayer, which was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I, I remember hearing people preach that, Jerusalem being destroyed in 70 A.D. was God's punishment for killing Jesus. Well, if that's true, Jesus didn't forgive them. Jerusalem being destroyed in 70 A.D. wasn't because they executed or crucified Jesus. It's because they formed an open rebellion and developed an art trying to go against the Romans and kick the Romans out. They sent Titus. He wiped them out. 
They weren't judged because they crucified Jesus. That sin was erased off of their life. What is Stephen's prayer being stoned? Father, lay not this in their charge, for they know not what they do. Now, the Bible emphatically declares that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. God will never tolerate a human stepping into the arena of revenge. He's not going to let us get even or hurt someone or get revenge. He's not going to let that happen. That's his. I believe after conversations with the Lord about this passage of Scripture, it's my opinion that the reason he won't allow us is because we didn't make them and we don't know all the facts. So when we punish, we punish to get even instead of to correct. Now, he will allow you and I to use his blood in forgiveness. He'll let you and I step into the arena of forgiveness and he'll hold his blood while we take his blood to somebody else's, the Lamb's book of life, and erase the sin so they're never judged for this act. And that's loosing in heaven what I loose on earth. See, that loosing and binding is not about devils. It's about forgiveness. This is a forgiveness chapter. Matter of fact, when Jesus concludes this, he says a certain man had two servants. One of those servants owed him 10,000 denarii or 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents, talents at least 100 pounds. It could be 135 pounds. Let's use the small number. If it's 100 pounds and there's 10,000 of you, put two zeros on the end of 10,000, what do you get? You get a million. If there are 12 ounces to a pound for metal, that's 12 million ounces. If, if silver is $10 an ounce, that's $120 million. This servant owed this incredible debt was beyond our ability to comprehend. And the master says, pay me your debt. He said, I don't have it. Okay, bind him, put him in prison, sell him all he's got, and pay his debt off. And the, the, the servant fell at his feet and said, wait a minute, sir, please just give me an opportunity. If you will allow me to, I'll repay that. Just give me some time. I'll pay it all back. And the master says to that servant, you've been very profitable to me, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to erase this debt, and you no longer owe me $20 million. It's gone. And the Greek word's off saying It's the same word for Acts 2.38, permission of sin. He removed the debt off of him, and now he's no longer accountable for the debt he owed. He goes out, finds a fellow servant that owed him 100 denarii. That's about $15. Took him by the throat, said, pay me what you owe me. And that servant fell at his feet, said, please, just give me an opportunity. You know I'll pay you back. I don't have it right now, but if you'll allow me just a little bit of time, I'll, I'll, I'll give you back what you're asking. And the servant said, no, 
bind him, put him in prison, put his family in prison, sell all he has, sell him his kids if necessary, pay this debt. Other servants saw this interaction, and they went back to the master. And they said, Master, you remember that servant that you forgave so much? He just put a fellow servant in prison for $15. Jesus said the master was wroth. He was enraged. He said, go get me that servant. And he said, you wicked and unprofitable servant. I forgave you much. You forgive so little. Bind him and put him in prison until he pay this debt. What he was forgiven of in the beginning returned in the end. Now, when you're buried in his name in baptism and the scalpel was taken and cut off of your life, the sin of your life, and you left it in water, forgiveness keeps it in the water. Unforgiveness drags it out of the water. And what you were forgiven of in the beginning, you can become responsible for in the end if you don't let it go. If we are multiple offenders, that's binding and loosing. If, if I want my life to change, I've got to get in the habit of loosing things. I, I've got to let things go. Now, he gives me the same opportunity to do the same thing to my own life because Peter says, Repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come in the presence of the Lord. The blotting out of sin is, is taking a sponge, dipping it in vinegar and water, half vinegar, half water, saturating, get the moisture out. When you lay the sponge on a papyra or piece of skin that has ink on it, the vinegar and water will dissolve the ink. The sponge will act like a vacuum cleaner and suck all the writing right off the page. So when you get through rubbing it back and forth, you've got a blank page. It's empty. But for me to get to use that blood on my life, to erase my life, I've got to first start erasing other people's lives with the same blood I want to use for my own life. Jesus said, and so likewise, Matthew, last verse of this scripture, so likewise shall your heavenly Father do unto you if you from your hearts do not forgive your brother. And I can tell you, of the 30,000 plus people I've talked to in 30 years, the root problem in all 30,000 is unforgiveness. Not willing to let things go. So are we going to sing about no more change or are we going to act like we don't have any change? And how we act like we don't have any change is we show up here unbound. And when we show up here unbound, the, we, we, the blessings of God shows up, the, the move of God shows up. It's because we have opened the door for God's blessings to come in our life. He can't take that out of me. He can't remove it from me. If the moment he starts trying to remove that, he'll wreck my life. I'm the one who has to do it. I got to let it go. And it doesn't matter how evil they have been. I still got to do it. I've heard horrible stories. I don't understand how humans can be so evil to other people. I've heard horrible stories. I've heard stories that, that 
just first they make you sick. Then they make you angry. You want to hurt somebody. That, that people do this to children and they do it under the guise of, of, of correction. Correction is not injuring a child so they can't lay down or sit down. That's called abuse. And Jesus said, be better you're buried in an unmarked grave. Millstone tied about your neck, drown the sea. There's no tombstone on your life. Nobody can find where you're buried at than to offend a child. God hates it. But it's epidemic. And yet, here's, here's the real problem, folks. If we tolerate or allow those things to happen, knowing they're happening, God has issues with us too. God hates it. God despises it. And when it takes place, we're supposed to be the ones who help correct it or bring it back into balance. And if I see my brother sin, then I'm go to him. If he doesn't repent, then I can take somebody with me. Because Paul said, if you see your brother in a fault, ye which are spiritual restored. He's just quoting what Jesus said there. It's not about getting even. Confrontation has never made one problem better. It's actually an act of revenge. It's me getting even. If I want my life different, I've got the key. And the key to get out of this prison is the key called unforgiveness. No, that's what will keep me locked up. But that's what my world thinks is the key to get out. Just You don't have to let them go. They don't deserve it. Jesus didn't declare they deserved any of this behavior. Jesus declared that if you want to be free, then you got to start letting some stuff go. Because if you don't, they're, they're not bound. I am. They're not locked up. I am. Forgiveness is not a point action in time. It's not something you did on a particular day at a particular moment in a particular year. You can't say that on August the 10th, 1987, I forgave them. Forgiveness is a journey you start that will last the rest of your life. Here's why it's a journey. Your brain don't forget nothing. Now all that data is recorded. So when this journey starts, every time that information comes back, you got to remind yourself, I took care of this. I handled this. I let this go. So when it comes back, it's not, oh, I didn't let it go. That has nothing to do with it. It's just the journey. I have to keep on reminding myself I did let it go. I remember the night that I said, Jesus, take your blood. I called him my name. Go to their Lamb's Book of Life. Erase this sin. Never judge them for this act. Then I've given up all hope revenge, including God. Because if it's not on his record, they can't ever be judged for what they've done. So when I erase their record, I loose it in heaven it's loosed here on earth. I've stopped my behavior. My and when I'm free, it starts showing up in my lifestyle, my behavior, my actions, my deeds, my relationships. 
because I let them go. This subject was difficult for the disciples. It's difficult for us because my nature don't like it. You see, I'm a very introverted person, which means I got a memory like an elephant. If you do me wrong, I can usually tell you the date, the time, and all the details of the events when it took place. I can remember them. So I, I got to work real hard. Now, all you people that are really outgoing, you don't have a problem with any of this at all. You can walk out of the room and it's over. But all of us task-oriented people, we, we don't have, that's, that's not, we, we don't get that kind of, uh, of, of freedom that you have just walking away. We, we, we carry it and, and, and we have a tendency to think on it and, and, and to drag it up and relive it. And, but I got to let it go. And I got to choose to manage memories so I don't let them come back and wreck my life. The day David's 600 mighty men started to stone him, he was only 29 years of age. And they picked up stones and said, you let us wrong, you let us into battle, you didn't pray about it, and you deserve to die because all of our kids are gone, our wives are gone, everything we've got's lost, and it's your fault, David. And they picked up stones, they came up David, and they were going to stone David, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, from that day forward, David has to manage this memory the rest of his kingship. Every time he goes to battle... And he says, charge. And he leads the charge. He can't worry about where they're following him. He can't worry about, they had stones. Maybe they don't like me now. Maybe they're angry at me. Maybe they hadn't got over all this. And and, and they're going to let me get out here, and then I'm going to be destroyed. He, He couldn't, he had to manage that, or it would have terrified his life. And we think, that when we let things go, that they disappear. Not true. There's no selective amnesia. There's no rag. You can rub it off so it goes away. You have to choose from that point. You're on a journey of forgiveness. And every time it comes back up, you just say, all right, flesh. That's who drags up, by the way, flesh. All right, flesh. So-and-so, I did this at this time, and it's gone. Don't drag it up again. And and you're going to go a long life and it'll come back again and again and again and again and again. But you got to keep reminding yourself, this is the journey of forgiveness that, okay, I'm not letting that wreck my life anymore. I will not be bound one moment longer. And when I'm not bound, I don't have to sing songs about breaking chains because I don't have any. We are free of chains. Why is that the theme of most of what we hear today? Well, that's a good indication we're bound. So you want to get unbound? Keys in your pocket. No magical fix. You just got to make a decision. Okay, Lord, I'm ready. I'm tired of the mess. Please take your blood. Go to the Lamb's book of life. Erase this sin. Never judge them for this act. I set them free. And when you do, you'll be the most free you've ever been in your life. That's when you let it go. No longer bound because you destroyed all the evidence. You covered it by blood. Life, if you don't want it to mind under control for the rest of your life, if you don't want it tormenting you, you're going to make a choice. Okay. 
Oh, heavens, please stand. Gracious Father, thank you for your incredible word. Your word is a light unto our path. It's the lamp that we walk by. Lord, thank you for your word that is just as real today as the day it was penned. It still has the same authority and effect today that it had the day that by your inspiration it was spoken or written by your authors. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the fact that your word is forever settled. It will not change. What happens in my generation won't change in the next one. What happened in Paul's generation hasn't changed in mine. But you set a road map for us to live life by. You, you have given us the guide to life. My nature, my human nature, my flesh, often wars against your spirit. And it doesn't want to let things go. It wants to hold on to resentment. It wants to hold on to rage and anger. It wants to hold on to animosity. All these bitter, negative feelings my flesh wants to hold on to because my flesh thinks it's okay for me to hold on. God, I pray tonight that revelation would happen in our lives. God, I pray we could see how free we could be if we truly just followed your simple instructions and we did what you said was our duty to do. We simply obeyed your word because you declared emphatically in your word that the way they're going to know that if we're going to be your disciples, we'll obey your word. God, I pray tonight that we wouldn't be afraid to embrace your word, even though it can be antagonistic to my life and to my nature. I may not like it, but it is the source of life, and it will help my life to become better. Lord, if someone's here tonight that needs to use your blood to erase someone's record, I pray, Lord, that tonight they wouldn't be afraid, and they'd ask you, to let them use your blood to loose in heaven what they're going to loose on earth. And they'll ask you to let your blood erase a record. They'll call the name erase a record so that their lives are no longer tormented or controlled by yesterday, but they're free to become the vessel of honor you created them to be, not living in the past, but living in the present, looking towards the future that you have planned for our lives. Thank you for your incredible word tonight. In Jesus' name, would you worship him for a moment?